0: Have you ever had a situation, uh, something happened to you that you just didn't see coming? We we started a series um, actually a few, about a month or so ago, or actually it wasn't a series of a sermon, but I think it might be a a two or three part series called The Power of Ziklag. And and, and I want to bring out some thoughts, but I got to ask you this question. Have you ever had something happen, you look back uh, and realize that that moment that you just experienced was a game changer in your life you didn't really realize it at the moment but but it really it really changed your life perhaps it was that job that you got um offered to you out of the blue didn't see it coming and there it came and it was a game changer perhaps that promotion that you got that you didn't see coming perhaps uh, it was the day that your wife told you that she's pregnant with your first child or perhaps it was the moment you found out that you were going to be a grandparent perhaps it was the letter that you got in the mail young people saying you got a full ride scholarship to the university that you had applied for. Those moments in your life that you come to and you realize this was a game changer in my life. I know we've all had those moments in our life where it just turned everything around. And so today I want to go back into a story that we read a while back about David and in a moment in his life where it became a game changing event. Something that took place that at the moment I don't believe he understood the relevance of what was going on. To him, it was just another life situation, a tragedy to some degree. And yet, at the same time, in the heavenlies, it had a whole different meaning of what he was going through. So the story is that um, God needed a man that would sit on the throne of Israel and lead God's people. The chosen people, the Hebrews who become Israelites, and, and lead the world basically, and, and usher in eventually the Messiah, and, and God needed someone to establish this kingdom, and he was looking after for someone for that purpose, and he found this guy named David. In fact, the, the Bible would describe David as a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't you have, love to have that initial on your gravestone, you know? Here lies so-and-so, a person after God's own heart. And this was this young man, David, and and God at the same time had to make sure before he handed over the keys of the authority that God was about to give him that, that his heart was right. Because I have found that you can write all the poetic songs you want to write before and about your love for God and you can wax poetically about all of your devotion that you have towards the Father, but not until you have successfully navigated The situation, what David would call a Ziklag moment. Not until you successfully navigated this moment in your life will will I believe you come into this place where God has prepared for you all along. David had a Ziklag moment. Ziklag was a place, it was a city where his dreams began to become his reality. And so I want to read 1 Samuel chapter thirty. A few verses for us this morning, and uh, let's just kind of catch up because I, I was I was texting my man, King, King David, this morning, said, hey, you got any word for me this morning? And so he gave me a text back, and so I'm going to read this text back for you that he sent to me. Come on, somebody. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, and now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. Can I just remind you that these Amalekites, these weren't good people. These these were mean, bad dude people. In fact, this isn't the first time we've ever had a run-in with Amalekites. The Amalekites were the first people out of the chute that... The people of Israel had to face when they came out of Egypt, out of their 400 plus years of slavery. And once they get out into their wilderness and start to pursue the promised land that God had for them, they were met with these Amalekites, the same people that Joshua had to deal with in the valley that Moses remembers on the mountaintop, lifting up his hands, Aaron and her on each side, lifting up his hands. And as he interceded and prayed, Joshua would win the battle and would defeat the Amalekites. I'm glad to know that in the history, of my life that there's been some Amalekites that I've already seen that I've already faced and God's already shown me that I got victory over. Aren't you glad about the victories of the past you've already had? Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you didn't clap loud enough. Come on, come on, you got to clap louder than that. You come on, you got to clap louder than that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. And so they attacked Ziklag and burned it. Now Ziklag was where David. This town is his hometown. This is where his, 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 his family's at, his, his, all of his buddies, they're, they're all working together and they're, all their families are there. Ziklag is the name of this town. They burned it, they took captive the women, everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went their way. And when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. I'm going to just pause for just a moment and just say this. I'm also thankful that when everything looks like it's a tragedy, there's always a little hope somewhere to be found. This isn't in my notes nor yours, but I think it's worthy to point out that, that even when you come to these situations in life where you feel like everything is falling apart, at least the fact was, well, I don't see any dead bodies laying around. I mean, I, I, I see everything. There's nothing but trash and rubble and burnt ashes around here. But, well, you know, at least I don't see dead bodies. So there's got to be, that means that the, the perhaps my wife and my kids are still alive. There's always hope in every situation if you look for it. If all you're looking for is ashes in your house, then sometimes you won't have hope. But there's always got to be something inside of you that says, I'm going to find hope in this situation that looks like it's absolutely a miserable dead end. I know that there's hope somewhere. Aren't you glad that there's always a place where you can go to and find a little bit of hope? Mm. And so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Grown battle hardened men. These are grown, these are men that, that 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 are tough cookies. You don't mess with these guys and they're bawling. Can you imagine the scene? They're all crying, they're weeping, they're bawling. And David was greatly distressed. And and because the men were talking about stoning him. And th- these were a bunch of rejects before he met them. They, they were in debt, they were in distress, they were discouraged. It's one thing to be, come on, it's one thing to be, to be rejected by the rejects. Not even, now the rejects are rejecting him. They're picking up stones. And each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and his daughters. And can I just say, I don't believe David saw this one coming. This is that moment in our life where something happens and you didn't see it coming. But just because you didn't see it coming doesn't mean God's not there in the midst to help you. It didn't catch God by surprise, you know that. God's, a, he's aware. and But David found, but, da, but David found strength. When everything's falling apart, can I just say this, when everything's falling apart, you better find strength this ability to withstand pressure. He found strength in the Lord his God. And then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered, God did, and you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Come on, I just remind you that God still answers when you're under pressure. He still answers when you're under pressure. How many people we have this morning say, I feel a little pressure recently. I, I've had a little pressure. Come on. Come on, turn, turn, turn to your neighbor like you lost $20 and tell him I've been under pressure lately. Come on, somebody. I, I've been under a little pressure. But God's there. So we started this little, you know, talk A few weeks ago, six things that you need to know to finish the race, and we got to one and a half of them. (laughs) And we're going to try to get to four today. Maybe five, if God's in this thing. If you stay throughout the whole Memorial Holiday, we might get more. We'll just see. Number one, I'll just, as a way of reviewing, six things you need to know to finish the race. Number one, expect seasons of stretching. We came to that conclusion with zigzag. Zigzag literally means winding, like winding a toy or winding a rubber band and, and just something, a, a, a situation where it's very, very tight in, in your life, and, and, and like, remember the, the big thick ticks, remember that, the, the thick ticks, and just, just big old, that's how that's how the, the zigzag experience was, and that's what it means, zigzag means that you're in a season of life where things are really tight, and the capacity of, of God inside of you is just like growing, even though you feel like you're being stretched to about the moment of explosion, God's doing something Great. Ziklag is a great place to be, even though it's a very uncomfortable place to be. And if you're gonna finish the race, you're gonna experience seasons of stretching. Aren't you glad you came this morning? It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be stretched. Number two, if you're gonna finish the race, just still just kind of reviewing. Don't allow yourself to become encircled. Uh, the word amalek. The Malachi it comes from Amalek, the Malachi comes from the word Amalek, which was the grandson of Esau. And it means the people of lapping. People of lapping. I, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be lapped. If I, I was in I was track for a few days in high school, <laughs> and re, let me remind you that I was the shortest kid in my high school, and, uh, uh, and and so I went out for track. I don't know. I was quick, but my quickness uh, lasted about ten yards, and then everyone else caught up with me. And so I've, I I realized, you know, when the, the coach said, oh, I want you to try out for," it. back then it was like the four forty and things like that. I don't know what they call me anymore. But he, it's you know a couple laps or a lap or two around the the track, and he said, I "Want you to do that?" Well. Uh, I did the two three lap thing race, and um, after about the first one, I was I was doing okay, and then the second one, people you know, th- people started passing me. How many know that's no that's no fun? Because er, I, I found out later it was because every two steps of mine was just one step of theirs. It was just it wasn't fair. And and lapping, and no one likes to be lapped. No one likes to be overtaken by anything. The worst thing an army can do to you is to lap you or to encircle you or to bring you into their, um, their snare. And that's what the Amalekites symbolize and what they represent. The last thing you want to do if you're in a military situation is to be flanked or to be encircled. I love history, I love everything about history, and uh, I spent three days with my dad years ago up in Gettysburg. You say, what in the world can you do for three days in Gettysburg? Aren't you glad there's only 10% chance of rain today? Aren't you glad to know that? (laughs) Just 10%, that's all. Oh my. That's what you get for going out on the boat when you should be right here, right here. I'm just telling you. You should have been right here. I'm just telling you. (laughs) I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. We're glad you're having fun in the rain. (laughs) So I spent three days in Gettysburg. By the way, I want to welcome. Can we welcome all the ones watching from uh, County Jail and also online? We welcome you guys. Love you all. Appreciate you so much. So, I spent three days in Gettysburg, and we read my dad and I we, we relived the entire the entire battle and we read every marker, every monument, every landmark, and it was just a fun time uh, for us together as a father and son and so One of the things that struck out stuck out to my mind in that Battle of Gettysburg was if the Union soldiers they were um, on this what they call cemetery hill cemetery Ridge, and they were kind of spread out in, in an inverted fishhook, if you would, and and th- the, they were supposed to um, make sure that the flank, you never want to be flanked, you never want the the, the enemy to come around the end. And so so what happened was um, General Meade sent General Warren to the end of the Union line to make sure that the flank was protected. And to General Warren's shock, he realized that there at the end of the, the line, on Little Round Top, let me show you Little Round Top, that, 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 that they had no soldiers. There was nothing up there. And so the enemy was down here where you're at. Well, not the well, the Confederates. So I don't, I'm in Alabama, so I'm not sure that's the enemy. But anyway, the Confederates were here, and they were, they were about to ascend. And if they ascended onto the top of that little hill, little Round Top, they would now have flanked the Union Army, which means that they would come in from behind and now they would squeeze them and they would they would win the war win the victory. And so so Warren was like, "What in the world?" And so he sent for Colonel Chamberlain. He was a school teacher from Maine. And he said, "Colonel Chamberlain, I need you here now, right now." So let's show. so Chamberlain shows up, a school teacher from Maine in his 30s, and said, "I need you to go and take your men to the top of that hill. And I need you to secure that hill no matter what it takes. No matter what it takes, do not let the enemy take that hill or we're all in trouble. And so he goes up there. And sure enough, the Confederates come up the hill and they, they push him back. And then the Confederates come again a second time and they push him back. At that point, one of the soldiers comes to Colonel Chamberlain and says, Sir, I got bad news. He said, What's the news? He said, We are out totally out of ammunition there is no way we can repel them the third time and so right there on the in the, in that moment colonel chamberlain said fix bayonets And they put the bayonets on the end of their gun with no bullets, no ammunition. And he said, charge. And they charged down the, the hill, little round top, so scared the Confederate army that they ran for their lives, not knowing that they didn't have any bullets in their gun. How many know that sometimes in your life, when you're about to be flanked, you gotta rise up with all the courage you can. You gotta fix bayonets. You gotta jump out of your little safety zone, and you gotta charge at the enemy as if all of your life depended on it. Come on. Have you ever been flanked? Have you ever been in a situation where suddenly something that you never thought ever would happen happened? Have you ever been in a situation where the enemy is coming up at you and you have nothing that you weren't even prepared for this? You weren't even ready for this. the, The child that you thought was the best child of all the children suddenly lost their mind. Come on, somebody. I didn't see that one coming. I thought that was going to be the good one. Come on. I've been flanked. I didn't didn't think I'd ever lose this job. I've been flanked. I I didn't think I would ever get this kind of a diagnosis on my body. What is this? What is this? I've been flanked. I didn't think I would ever be in this situation with my marriage. I've been flanked. I didn't think I would ever find my best friend gossiping about me and behind my back and slandering my reputation. I, I think I've been flanked. Uh, I want to know this morning, what are you going to do when the Amalekites come into your, into your house uh, and they begin to flank you? What are you going to do in that moment? Because what you're going to do in that moment determines what's going to happen after I'll tell them a story. My, my, my dad. We lived in Colorado, Denver, Colorado, for about five years, and we probably would have, perhaps, still been there. My dad had a very good job working for an up-and-coming computer company. He was a sales rep for a computer school. This was early on when computers were in, and automation was just barely getting out of the out of the ground and. And uh, so he was a regional sales manager for the west part of the United States, and, and uh, so he had a whole team of sales teams that he had hired, and uh, one, of, um, one of our relatives uh, needed a job, and they were hard up for, for money, and so my dad, out of the goodness of his heart, hired uh, this man, and uh, helped him move out, and got him all settled, and and dad worked with him to give him some territory and all that. Little did my dad realize that behind his back, this relative, this brother-in-law, was uh, was nestling up to his, my dad's boss and getting to know him, become real friendly, and then start lying about my dad and telling this boss of all these things that accusing my dad of things that he'd never done or would ever think of doing. Next thing we know, my dad is fired. The person, the relative that he had helped get hired takes his place and we're in a U-Haul heading back to Missouri. Living in a trailer, cold winter time. My dad, we're living in southwest Missouri. I'm going to school and uh, now I'm, we're all uprooted and my mom's working at a clothing factory. My dad's up in St. Louis trying to find a job. I'm saying this for a reason. My mother was, Mom, you there? Hey, there you. So I'm telling I'm the telling story on you. It's going to be good, though. It's going to be good. But she was eaten up, if you can imagine, with a lot of unforgiveness. Have you ever had those situations, don't raise your hand, where you're just so mad, you think to yourself, I'll never forgive that person. You've been flanked. Oh, I, I, I don't, hey, listen, I love everybody, but there's one person, I promise you, they will never, ever get my forgiveness, as if, like, you're doing them a harm, like you're hurting them. And uh, one day, my mother, uh, uh, trying to pursue the Lord, relationship with the Lord, and but she had found that her relationship with God become very cold. And and distant, and, and she realized that uh, it wasn't the same, something had happened, so she went to the Lord in prayer and said, God, you know, I, I, why is what's, what's going on? What's, how come my fervency for you, my love for you, my, my, my the sense of your presence is just, it's not here. What's going on? What, what's happening? What's, and, and the Lord impressed upon her heart. He says, if you want to grow in me, if you want to move forward, you're going to have to forgive this person. That caused you entire lo, lose the house, lose everything. You're gonna have to forgive him. <laughs> and and you ever had these conversations with God? Of course, you never win. Like, okay, uh, uh-uh. uh, no. Listen, I'll do anything, God. I'll go to you know Africa. I'll go to wherever you send me. But I promise you, I'm not gonna do. I, God, and so, and, you know, that kind of thing. Obviously, God won, and my mom realized that she had to forgive. And she was so eaten up with unforgiveness, if you, as you can imagine, she couldn't even utter his name. When she went to pray and asked God to forgive <laughs> this person, she couldn't even say his name. She was so mad and so angry. And finally, she eked out his name and, and prayed to pray, God, forgive me for having anger towards this person. Father, I just pray you'll bless him. I prayed, And she names him by name. I pray you'll bless him. And she began to ask the Lord to bless him. She began to become broken. She began to weep. She cried. And God broke through. And suddenly the presence of God came again, afresh and new. The sense of God's uh, mercy upon her life, the word began to open up to her afresh again. See, she came to this point of being dry because, because there was something, she'd been flanked. And, and God had to remove this root from her life that she allowed to begin to grow. Sometimes you find yourself in this cold situation in your relationship with God only to realize that the enemy flanked you and, he's, and God's trying now to cause you to fix bayonets and jump out of the safety zone and charge after the enemy and go, no, 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 you're not going to ruin my health. You're not going to ruin my marriage. You're not going to ruin my family. No, no, this isn't going to happen, Satan. You're not going to cause unforgiveness to, to ruin my life in the name of Jesus. No, sir. And you got to go after the enemy. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, sometimes you got to fix the bayonets. Will you tell them that for me? you got to fix the bayonets. And number three, you have to take responsibility for those that God has given you. I'm talking about finishing the race. Again, going back to 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 and 3, David has been reached Ziklag, third day, now the Amalekites had raised the Negev and Ziklag. They had, attached, they had attacked the Ziklag, burned it, and, get, and here's what we, we want to look at, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off. You know, what was so hard about the situation was it involved people that David loved and the men loved. It would be different if it, they came back to the town and they didn't have any relatives or relationship or history and they found a burden. Well, you know, that's sad. Well, that's oh, But this is different. These are people that I'm invested in and have invested in me. These are people that have watched me grow and I've watched them grow. These are people that I'm responsible for. These men were out there working on, out there in the in in, in in doing what they were doing with David to bring home money to support their their family. They they, they there was something inside of them that felt like I I, I got to be responsible for these things that God's given me. I, I want you to know, speak especially to the men this morning that there's things that God's given you that you are responsible for. Ladies, their are children that in your home in your house you're responsible for them. I, I know even afresh now even as a a, a one. Grandchild, grandparent, guy—the value of being a grandparent. I never even thought twice about being a grandparent. Never even entered my mind. Never—I had no inkling about a grandparent. I never thought nothing about it until now. And now, now it's amazing how many people I come across who go, who say to me, "You know, I wouldn't be in God right now. I wouldn't even know Jesus if it hadn't been for my granddad. Or I wouldn't even know what it was like to have a prayer life if it hadn't been for my grandmother." I would have never even known what a church was and being a part of a church family that hadn't been with my grandparents who took me every, every week when I was, spent the summer with them. Now that now that I'm in, in the fourth quarter of my life, like some of you perhaps are, you begin to think about legacy. You begin to think about, you know, what's really important. And you have to ask these questions like, what am I going to pass on to my kids? And, and, and how is my family going to remember And is there anything I can leave behind? You begin to think that and realize that life has a a little time span and and your clock is ticking, and you begin to feel the weightiness of being responsible for those that are going to come up after you. I hope I'm talking to somebody this morning. If you're going to finish the race, you can't think only about yourself. You have to somehow come into this understanding that there's other people coming behind me that I've got to be responsible for. I hear some old saints talk from time to time. I just can't wait to get out of here. And I'm thinking to myself, but do you really understand the influence you have with the people now? You can't be asking, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. If you really know that there's something inside of you to impart to the people here that are going to be left behind you. This isn't the time to be wishing to get out. This is the time that we be wishing to invest in because there's a people that you've got to leave a legacy into. <clears throat> the enemy wants to take your family captive. He wants to burn your house to the ground. And he wants your family to lose its godly heritage. And he wants to carry off your family. But somebody's gotta rise up in the house and say, oh no, no, not on my watch. Oh, you can you can set a flame to whatever you think you can set a flame and burn whatever you think you're gonna burn, but you're dealing with David here. You're dealing with some mighty men here, you're not dealing with that old wishy-washy Christian person over there that's one way, one day, and another. No, 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 this is David, this is the worshipers of man after God's own heart. You're not taking my family and carrying on where you want to go. So let me give you a coaching tip, just a little coaching tip. I'm, we've been married now 30 years, and our children are now kind of grown, and I'm not, I'm not ready to write a book on raising children yet. But I do know this. That some of you parents, I've heard you talk, and you have children, they're, getting, they're, they're in your house, they're teenagers, whatever, and they go, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. I'm not going to church. And you're faced with a dilemma. And you've asked me, what do I do? Do I make him go? Do I lock him out of the house until I get home? What do I do? do? Well, here's your answer. You say to that girl, you say to that young man, part of my job is to make sure that you have spiritual formation in your life. I, I will be held responsible before God for your spiritual formation. So if you're saying you don't want that in that church, Okay, but you are going to get spiritual formation. So we'll make a deal. You don't have to go to the youth group. You don't have to go to the church, whatever. But you are going to have a meeting once a week with a spiritual mentor, a counselor, a life coach. And you are going to develop the spiritual side of you because you are body, soul, and spirit. And I'm, not let, I'm not going to raise a child that's going to be anemic in the spiritual dimension. So if you want to go to church and get it, that's one way. If you don't feel like that's what's for you, then you're going to find, we're going to find together a spiritual mentor, a life coach, a counselor, and you're going to meet with them once a week because i got to make sure that by when you leave this house, you are prepared, body, soul, and spirit. Do you hear me, son? Do you hear me, sweetheart? Come on. I'm just giving you a little tip, just a little tip. And so Exodus 12, 1 and 3, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, the whole tell the whole community, um, Joseph, why don't you come up now before I go any further? Because we're not going to. There you go. Not gonna, you need to probably start sitting on the front row, buddy, because you never know how fast you have to come up here. I love you, man. Uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb. Get this take a lamb for his family, one for each household. This is huge. Well, this passage comes to us because they have been in bondage, slavery in Egypt for 430 years, and now the Lord has said, okay, tonight, after tonight, then everything changes and you're going out. You're leaving bondage. You're leaving slavery. You're leaving the life that you've known, your parents have known, your grandparents, your great parents, and your great-great parents. You're leaving all that. We're leaving this. We're going now into the place that I'm leading you to. But it's imperative that before we lead you into what you're going to be led into, that you have to take this lamb and you have to eat this lamb. The whole house needs to come together and eat this lamb, all the lamb, not just some of it. Not pick and choose. I want everything gone because while you're eating this lamb, there's going to be a death angel come across the land and it will literally cause the firstborn of every child in the Egyptian nation to die. But if you will eat this lamb, you will be preserved. Your life will be preserved. Your family will be preserved. Can I remind you Father and mother, whose son and daughter perhaps are wavered at this moment, Uh, cannot remind you that there is a lamb for every household. Come on, there's a lamb for every. When your children see you eating the lamb, and they need to see you eating the lamb. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me about how they had walked away from the Lord. I don't know if I shared this with you. Maybe I did. And they came back to the Lord. And they said to me, the reason I came back to the Lord is I didn't even know this. But my dad, I think I told you, my dad was fasting every Tuesday for a year for me. I said, did you know that? He goes, I didn't even know that. My dad was praying for my salvation. Yeah, I think I shared that. My dad was praying. My dad was praying. Listen, there's a a lamb for every house. And though there's things going on in your family that concern you, that burden you, that hurt you, that are heavy towards you, I can tell you today that that if you'll just eat the lamb, if you just. Make it a point that I'm going to eat the lamb. I'm going to I'm going to spend some time in my devotion, just eating, receiving Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Eat the lamb, right? Jesus is the lamb slain for the foundations of the earth. You're, you're 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 learning Christ. You're you're hearing Him. You're learning. You're leaning into Jesus. You're spending your day just loving on Jesus. And as you just love on Jesus, as you eat the lamb, come on. There's there's something that was happening even behind the scenes. The, the death angel is moving over your families, going over to, your, to other places. And there, there's, no, there's no harm coming to you. You are standing between, you, your ch- between your child and the death angel. You are standing in the gap, if you would. Uh, you're standing there and you're going, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. I'm eating Jesus. I'm eating the lamb. And you're not going to touch my son. Oh, you're not going to touch my daughter. Oh, no, no, no. Uh-uh. No, not on my watch. You're not fleeking me. I know your schemes uh, and you're not coming to this house. Yeah. You know, Memorial Holidays, um, let's all stand. But Memorial Holidays, I love the the three-day weekend and family time. But for some, perhaps in this house, I This wasn't really where I was going, but apparently this is what we needed to talk about. I think these kind of things, holidays and reunions and get-togethers, you're happy, you stuff, but sometimes there's like this little pain if you're really if you're really following the Lord you, you want everyone to follow the Lord with you 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 see the benefit of it and you see the pain and the mess that maybe a cousin's in a, a brother a sister a son a daughter and a spouse and you and you know the answer is Jesus our prayer teams if you come down and stand up here front please and there's something you're, you're eating your hot dog and your hamburger and you're all hanging out at the pool or the boat or whatever you're doing for the holiday throwing cornhole what, you're just having a good time and but there's something inside of you is like it's not my family's not right it's not right we got a mess going on we've been flanked maybe maybe it's a good reminder that if you'll just eat the lamb. If you just, if you just put the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house, is what they did in the Old Testament. They would put that, the, they, they slay that lamb, they took the blood of that lamb that they slew that they would eventually eat, and they would put the blood on the doorpost of the house, the place where you enter and you exit, and, and, and so the, the enemy would see that there was a lamb slain for your family, that whoever's inside this family, whoever's inside this home, whoever's connected to these people inside this house, there's been a lamb slain. There's blood on the doorpost and I, I can't touch. I can't I can't bring death like I want to bring death. I can't steal and kill and destroy like I long to do. The enemy says, I, I got to pass over, I guess. I got to go on to the next family. I got to go on to the next neighborhood. I, I can't stop here because I see the lamb. I see the blood. Mm. so this morning as we close maybe a good time to, to stand in the gap for some people that we love because if we're going to finish the race we've got to take responsibility for those that have been taken captive So, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you, you have a friend, you, I mean, a relative, you have an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, you have a, you have a, a, a dad, a mother, a, a son, a daughter, a spouse. Man, your heart is heavy for them. I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. Come on. I just, I just feel the Spirit of the Lord right here, right now. Mm. Oh, my gosh. You are, you are the you are the cord, you are your hand, your heart, your prayers are literally saving that person's life. So God, right now we lift our hands to you and we believe by faith, oh God, that that, that wayward child, that spouse that grandparent, that father, that mother, whatever, that relative is, father, we call them out and we declare, oh God, that there is a lamb for their life. We declare, Lord Jesus, and remind you that you said there's a lamb for every household, oh God. And so we stand, Lord God, as those who are eating the lamb, and we say, oh God, spare their life, spare their life, oh God, and visit them wherever they're at, God, whatever they're doing, Lord God, whatever's going on in their life right now, we ask that you'll invade them, oh God. We ask that you come in supernaturally, oh God, and just, Lord, intervene. Cause them, Lord Jesus, to have their eyes open. We declare enemy. You Amalekite, you demonic spirits, we declare you have no authority over our relatives, our children, our family. In the name of Jesus, we demand you take your hands off of them. We're coming after them, we're going to find them we're going to rescue them and we're believing in the name of Jesus that the captives will be set free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can you give God a thanks for what he's going to do on behalf of your family yes Lord yes Lord, yes Lord amen amen this is this is what we do we stand in the gap and we never lose hope you may be looking around at a pile of ashes you may have had conversations and had things happen with that person and the family and you're like what in the world there may be even a temptation rise up inside you going you know what I'm washing my hands I'm done you're never done you're never done you know why you're never done? Because he's never done. He's never done. And if he's never done, you're never done. Thank you, Lord. Calling them in. One prophet in the Old Testament says, speak to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and call them in. Declare, today is the day of your salvation. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there's some people here in this room that wouldn't be here right now if grandma hadn't prayed you in. If grandpa hadn't prayed you through, come on. If if you hadn't seen mama sitting by the rocking chair with a little light on at two o'clock in the morning as you walked in from that wild party and something grabbed your heart and you said, what in the world am I doing? There's a lamp for every house. There's a land for every house. If you're here today you don't know Jesus, we have our prayer teams here and we want to pray with you. We want you not to leave this building without us having a chance just to pray with you and, and allowing us an opportunity just to usher you into the kingdom of God. This weekend could be the greatest weekend of your life. A relationship with the Lord through Jesus is yours to have. Before we dismiss, Patrick, why don't you come? Why don't you close this out with a prayer? Turn your neighbor as Patrick comes and tell him, God is awesome. Can you do that for me? Come on. God is awesome.